Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Hey, we are in uh, Mark chapter 6, and if you need a Bible and want to follow us through with, through with us in an actual Bible, then, then we want to be able to put one in your hands. Just raise your hand, and one of our ushers or greeters will walk over and give it to you and, uh, and get that for you. And then um, there'll, be, uh, there'll be in the, in the, in the um, outline in your bulletin, and we'll also have many of them up on the screen. Some of them won't be, but many of them will. And uh, we're going to be in the last part of uh, Mark chapter 6. And it really talks about two of the, maybe, maybe we can call them some of the most famous miracles that Jesus performed. Um, I think all of those miracles are pretty famous, but uh, this is where he feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. And many of you, since you're so familiar with that story, you're going to go, oh, good, I can check out and I'm good and I can just go to sleep now. I get an extra hour of sleep before I go home and have to deal with the kids. So we're good. I won't be talking for an hour, by the way. But, um, but don't do that. Don't do that at all. So crazy there were these miracles, so powerful was the story of these miracles that they were listed in three of the four Gospels. And then we get to, we get to understand that and we get to understand the importance of it and how it impacts us even today. That there was a purpose that these miracles were recorded because it's supposed to spur on our faith and help us to grow in trust and help us to understand that of the providence and the provision and the protection and the sufficiency of our God. It's supposed to help us to sit well with a greater understanding of who he is and how he works in our life. So whatever you do today, don't turn it off just because the story might be familiar, okay? So we pick up in the story after the disciples have been sent out to do the ministry that they will do after Jesus leaves. So Jesus has given them training. He's sending them out. Love the way Jesus trains, right? He demonstrates. He teaches. He sends out. He pulls back. He teaches again, and then he sends out. He's always teaching and always helping them to grow. So that's what happened. They come home, man. They're like, this was difficult. This was hard. Here's what's happening. Here's what we could do. Here's what we couldn't do. And, and here's what we find out. All of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, you need to rest and you need some food. So, I mean, they haven't been eating. They haven't been resting well. These things haven't taken place. And so he says, hey, we're going to jump in a boat. We're going to get some rest while we're even in the boat. And then we're going to go to the other side. I'm going to take you to a fishing town, and we're going to get you some good food, right? Oh, I love that. I used to love coming back from, from camps and retreats, and I would grab all the leaders that went with us. I'd say, hey, I just need you for two more hours. And we would go to some restaurant in the town we were in, and we would just sit together and eat together and go over everything that had happened and just talk. And we would fill our leaders up with, with food and just say, we love you guys so much. Thank you for pouring into our youth, right? That's kind of what's going on. Jesus just pouring into them, sharing uh, the, the story of ministry, giving them more teaching. And then so they get there, they get to the other side, and here's what Scripture says. Here's what it says in Mark that took place, that all these people came running after him, and that there's the, the, the shore was just crowded with all these people. And in the process of that, what began to happen was that uh, he looked out on them, and he said, we're going to teach. We're going to heal. We're going to stop with our plans, and we're going to take care of these people. It's said that he had great compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep can exist without a shepherd. They just become aimless. They just become desirous of the next tuff of food, and they just kind of walk wherever they might find it. They get satisfied and filled up and then walk somewhere else they might find it, and typically, many times, they can walk into a place that hurts them, 
they can walk into the care and trust of maybe another animal or a pack of wolves or something else, and they don't have the idea of taking care of them. They want to eat them. He says he looked out on the crowds, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. People running around, somewhat aimless, just following their own desires, just following their own ambitions, following their own appetites, without a shepherd to guide them, without the knowledge of where is best to go, without a plan, without understanding that they have a future and a purpose. They were just there. And Jesus, being the good shepherd, says we are going to step into their life with compassion. Compassion literally means to suffer with. It means that we're going to stop our plans, had dinner plans, and we're going to step into the life of these people, and we're going to suffer right along with them. We're going to enter into their pain. We're going to enter into their, to their circumstances. We're going to enter into their sicknesses. We're going to enter into it, and we are going to suffer with them, offering healing and my teaching. Wherever Jesus healed, he was teaching as well, offering the truth of the word of God. What we find out later on is that whole thing that was taking place was so that he could, including the, including the feeding of the 5,000, right, was so that he could let them know that you may desire the appetites <laughs> but they're temporary. They will only fill you up for a time. He said that I am the bread and the life. I am that which will fill you up. And so he stopped his plans, the plans of his disciples, and stepped into people's lives to give them the truth and the healing that they needed. And we're going to pick up right there, okay? And what I'm going to do is I read some of these passages. We're going to stop and give some commentary, and then we're going to keep moving forward, okay? And so don't let that frustrate you. I'll get right back to it, but I want you to know as we go on, okay? So here's where we pick up. So they're there doing their ministry, healing, and teaching. And by this time, it was late in the day. So the very first thing we see here is that it's about 3, somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock. Evening's coming, meaning it's going to get dark soon. Here they are. We're going to find in a second that they're in a remote place. And the disciples are saying, hey, hey, it's getting late. You don't travel at night. That's not wise. It wasn't safe. You know, they didn't have car with headlights and things like that, right? It's not what you want to do. We better take care of these people is what they're about to get to. It's just so you can understand the time of day that they're talking about. They'd been there all day doing ministry. And always keep in mind as we go throughout this morning, right? These were very hungry disciples. Just keep that in mind. It's a fun thought. So his disciples came to him, meaning Jesus, to this. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now we find as the story is told in, in John that we get a little, little greater detail of what's taking place here, right? So he sends them out to go see how many there are. And, and then another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small, bar- five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? What they actually found was uh, what would be considered biscuits, 
right? Biscuits. We just had the men's breakfast. There was biscuits there. That's about the size of what they found. Five of those. And they found two fish. And what kind of fish they were? These must be massive fish. They were sardines, basically, is what they were. It was adequate for a small boy's lunch, which is what they found. They found the food with a small boy who had packed it up. They were pickled fish and that they were ready to eat at some point during the day. And that's what they found. So here they are. It's getting late at night. You don't travel. We got all these people who are responsible for Jesus. We got to get food in them. And, you know, they're probably thinking we got to get some food in us. And, and we got to send them away. And Jesus is like, I stepped into their life. They're harassed and helpless. I'm having compassion on them. We're teaching and we're doing the ministry, the work of the gospel. He said, let's feed them. And they're going, not at all, Jesus. That doesn't work. That presents a huge problem for us because there's not enough food to feed them and there's certainly not enough money to go buy the food we need. It's a half a year's wages. Are you kidding me, Jesus? We don't have that. See, each time in our lives when we're at a crossroads, we're presented with a problem or the potential. We're presented with the problem or the potential. You see, Jesus knows, we're also told in John, that, that Jesus did this to test them. He knew exactly what he was going to do the whole time, and he was putting them to the test. Will you set your eyes on the focus and uh, on the problem and be absolutely overwhelmed? Think of only what you can do. Think of only what is within your vision and sight, or will you turn to the provider of all things? They had Jesus right there with them, the creator of all things, the provider of all things. He had already suspended the rules of the universe to do all sorts of other miracles and this one, they're like, yeah, we can't feed anybody, Jesus. Let's go. Let's wrap this thing up. Come on. Right? And he's like, no. Go find out what you have. And they went and they found the, the loaves and they found the fish. And every one of our moments and every one of our problems, every one of our crossroads, the Lord has something for you. There's already a provision there for you. There's already something, whether it's in your knowledge or your understanding or within your community or a physical something that you already have that he is going to work in and through. This day didn't sneak up on him by surprise. This moment in your life didn't take him off guard. He has already been preparing you for this moment. You can either look at it as a problem that you, in your wisdom, in your strength, in your finite understanding that you have to solve or you can look at the provider of all things and say, wow, there's a potential here. There's a potential for me to grow closer to Christ through this. There's a potential for me to see all of heaven unleashed. There's a, there's a potential that, <laughs> that, that God will show up and show off in a way that I've never experienced before. There's a potential that there's people watching my life and will be drawn closer to the Father because of what he's doing in my life. There's the potential for God to receive the glory in this and not me. That's the life of a disciple. That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Put your sights on me. I know you're at a crossroads. I know you're dealing with a problem. It's not a surprise. There's potential here. Potential for me to do the absolute amazing. For me to show up and show off. And when that happens, you've never seen fireworks like I'm about to display. Because I have the power of all the universe to change everything that needs to be changed, to give you exactly what you need. Not necessarily what you want, but exactly what you need.
Wearsby put it this way. Jesus looked at the situation not as a problem, but as an opportunity to trust the Father and glorify his name. He saw potential in the problem and acted by faith. Acting on the basis of human wisdom, his disciples saw the problem, but not the potential. How many times God's people have complained, if we only had enough money, we could do something. Right? That's been you, huh? Because I know it's been me. Lord, if you'd have only made me rich, if you'd only gave me that million dollars or that couple million dollars or that billion dollars, I'll tell you what, here's what I would have done. I'll tell you what, you could have trusted me, Jesus. He's no dummy. He couldn't have trusted me. Don't give me a million dollars because I know I'm spending that bad boy. Come on. He can do everything. We don't need to have the resources because he has all the needed resources for that which presents us a problem. What's the next thing we need to learn from this passage? That we need to trust in the Lord's power to meet our needs. We pick up in verse 41. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Ah, thanking the Lord for what we have, not looking past it. That's key in our lives. We tend to want more. We tend to not want what we have. We tend to want something different instead of looking at what we do have. As simple and as uh, eh, seemingly unimpacting as it might be, and we give thanks to the Lord. for He's the one that gave it to us. Then he gave, then he gave them... Uh, I'm sorry, he broke, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided up the two small fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Literally, that word satisfied is the same word that's used for an animal being satisfied, right? Like, I don't know about you, my dog could eat for 42 days, I think. They could just eat and eat and eat. And yet, it's going to walk away from the bowl at some moment because he's satisfied. Like, I don't need any more. I've had all that I needed. And that's exactly what took place here. They weren't just given food. They were given until they were satisfied, filled up all that they needed. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, if the number of men who were eaten was 5,000, because that's all that's counted at that time, then that means there could have been 10, 15, 20,000 or more people there that were all fed until they were satisfied. Look, the Lord has great power and wants to put it on display in our lives. But what do we do? We say, oh, this isn't enough. We say, oh, I don't, I don't have anything. We say, oh, I better, go, I better go work harder. I better go do more. I better depend on myself. I better depend on what I have to accomplish what I need to accomplish to get what I need to have. And instead he's saying, hey, give me what you have and let me do the extraordinary. Give me what you have and let me bless people. Give me what you have and let me give you what you need. Right? He has the power to give us what we need. We have to trust him with what we have and that he has the power to give him what we need. The point of this miracle is this. Trust Jesus. Trust his provision. Trust that what he has given you today is sufficient yeah, it's sufficient, and he knows what you'll need tomorrow. And he'll give you what you need. Trust that he will provide exactly what you need. Do you remember from Matthew 6, when, he was, when Jesus was teaching on prayer? Do you remember what he said? He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Now, many of you are repeating it in your head right now as I'm saying it, right? That's good. That's a good thing to do. But you got to think about the words. Don't just repeat it. Examine the words. Understand the words. Let the words guide your prayer. And this is what this is meant to do. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to focus real quick on, on the Lord's will being done. These are promises of God. And we're supposed to pray the promises of God, putting our focus completely on them and submitting ourselves, right? Bringing ourselves before the Lord, laying it at his feet and praying the promises that he already gave us. He said, hallowed be your name. In other words, glory to God on highest. There's no other holy one, no other separate one than you. You are the great God of all. And I come before you and I lay what I have before you, my life. And I said that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have a kingdom principle. You have a will that you're carrying about that is always carried out in heaven and it's always carried out on earth. Father, I want to submit my will to you. I'm bringing my life to you. And I want your will carried out in my life. I want your will to operate here in earth. And the only place that I have control over to accept your will or to deny your will is my life. And so bring it into my life, your will. Be done in my life, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? That is your portion. Lord, we trust you today for the portion that we need for today. We trust you that you have the power and the authority to meet our needs today. And that the portion we receive today is the exact right portion. The portion of circumstances, the portion of disappointment, the portion of all of it is just the right portion. The portion of of experience, the portion of laughter, the portion of relationship, the portion of expectation. The one that you give me, Lord, is just the right portion for today. It's exactly what I need. And I trust you that you have the power to give me the right portion tomorrow and the right portion the next day. That I don't have to worry or control it because you promise to give me the right portion for today. Five loaves. Two fish was the right portion for that day. What's your portion? Where has the Lord landed you right now? What are you going through? What are your obstacles? The Lord has given you the right portion. Receive it and submit it right back to him and say, Lord, do whatever you'll do to prepare me (laughs) with the right portion for tomorrow. Remember in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, It says, do not worry. Interesting that this comes right after the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) It says, do not worry, saying what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. For the pagans, those who don't know God, will run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? So we don't have to worry. Because we've been given the right provision. We've been given the right portion for today. We can trust him for tomorrow. And we know that he has the power to meet every need that we have. Don't mistake that for once. But every need that we have. And finally this. I want you to think about something again. Remember we said keep in mind that the disciples were hungry? Ladies, maybe you're not so much like this. Although I know you and I know you are. But... Dude's in the room. You haven't eaten for maybe a couple days. And you're tired. 
and you're hungry. And you thought you were getting off this boat to have a fish fry. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, you're going to do more. You're going to give more of yourself. You go throughout the entire day. And Jesus goes, what you got to eat? And you say, "Uh, five loaves, two fishes for 20,000 some people. Right now, you're getting pretty hangry. It's happening. You're going, I just want some food. I'm so hungry. Yes, yes, yes. We got to take care of all the people here. But what about, I'm hungry. It's not written that it says that. Let's not mistake it. It's not written, right? But they're dudes. And what's left at the end? Did you notice what was left? Don't just say leftovers. Don't just say basketfuls. The gospel was very clear to give us. The Holy Spirit gave us exactly what was left. You remember? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls were left over. How many disciples? Twelve. Will the Lord not meet our needs? Does he not have the power to give us what we need? Can we not trust him for our provision? Even though we're in the midst of of working and giving of ourselves and trusting him for what is next? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. We have that great promise that he will give us this day our daily bread, the portion that we need, and we can trust him no matter what he asks us to sacrifice, to give up, no matter how he asks us to, with compassion, step into somebody else's life. Give it away and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let him pick it up in his hands and do what he will do, which is nothing short of the miraculous and the fabulous and the outrageous and the impossible and the kingdom building. I don't even know what else you want to add to it, but he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You're not going to go hungry. You're going to walk through this life filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to trust that the Lord is more concerned about your growth than he is about your comfort. This one's a tough one for us. It's a tough one for us to swallow. But it's so true. He's more concerned about our growth than our comfort. And the reason why I put the word trust in there, because that is our God. And that is what he does. So we need to trust that there's going to be tough times, difficult times, rough moments in our life because he's more concerned about our growth than he is our comfort. Immediately, it says, right after all this took place and the 5,000 were fed and 12 baskets were left over, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them, go on ahead of, of him to Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. Made in the original language, is, is literally to force. He forced them to go ahead. Now put this in context. One of the greatest miracles that ever took place took place. They were just a part of it. They just saw 5,000 to 20,000 people get fed out of five loaves, two fishes. They saw something that couldn't happen, transpire. They saw it. I mean, can you imagine the spiritual high? Can you imagine the fervor that's going on there? Can you imagine the emotion that's being poured out? Can you imagine the worship to God that's transpiring there? Can you imagine what's taking place there? And here the disciples are, they're like, whoa, I can't believe I got to be a part of this. You talk about a spiritual high. You may not know a spiritual high like they are experiencing right now, walking with Jesus experiencing this, the power of God on display in a crazy way, right? And here they are, and Jesus is going, hey, I want you to get in the boat and go. No, 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 Jesus, that's not happening. We're going to stay here with you. This is too crazy. This is too amazing. Man, my heart's pumping for you right now and all the kingdom work that's happening. I can't believe I got to be a witness to this. Woo, Jesus. He said, get in the boat. Get in the boat. I don't want you here. I want you in the boat. I'll dismiss everyone. I'll wrap this up. I will give them what they need. I need you in the 
boat. Oh, yeah. I've been really comfortable to sit in the glory of what Jesus did. They've been really comfortable to sit in the, the basking in the fact that they wanted to make Jesus the living king, the actual king of Israel, the, the physical king. And Jesus would have to deny that and say, no, that's not what happened. I came to give my life for you. Oh, it would have been good to be. I mean, can you imagine them going, hey, we know what's happening here, Jesus. This was a good one. They're going to make you king and we're going to be standing beside you. <laughs> that's good for us too. No, I want you in the boat. So we get, they get in the boat and they shove off. There's another thing here, though. Let's not paint the disciples in such an ugly light, maybe. There was only one boat, John tells us. They were also concerned for Jesus. There's only one boat, man. Like, we get in the boat, you got to stay here. Uh, you got to come with us. He said, get in the boat. You see, Jesus doesn't have to make rational sense to us. What God asks us to do doesn't have to, to make human, have human wisdom to it. What he asks us to do only needs to be consistent with his character that has been explained to us in Scripture. What he asks us to do only has to be consistent with the power that we see on display in Scripture. Only has to be consistent with the words of Scripture. Meaning that as long as it fits and doesn't contradict the words of Scripture, then why can't Jesus do it? Why wouldn't he do it? Why would that be outrageous for him to do? And he said, get in the boat. I'll take care of the rest. When he tells us to move, we're to move, and he'll take care of the rest. When it feels like we're on shaky ground and we don't get it and we can't see what's ahead of us, he still says, get in the boat and we're supposed to go. And we need to trust that it will be difficult. That's what I just said. It will be difficult. And we need to trust that it will be trying. And we need to be trusted there'll be moments of doubt even. And we need to trust that that's going to take place because for them to stay comfortable, they could not grow. And so he puts them in the boat. Let me go on and continue reading. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I got to pause again because we just blow past that line every time we read this passage. And then after the disciples left, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He went by himself to pray. We live in a society that says, run, 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 run. We live in a society that says, fill you up, fill up, fill up with, with things and duties and stuff. We live in a society that says, yeah, you should pray every day, but do it while you're in the car on your way to work because, you know, you got things to do. We, say, we live in a society that says, read the word of God. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes, Jesus. Because we're so busy. we got so many things going on and we got to rush and we got to go. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to pause. I don't have time to reflect. I don't have time to spend a, a lengthy time with you, Jesus. I mean, I'm going to go on vacation because I got to get some rest. I don't have time for that. Besides that, it's weird. What do I say to you? We're going to sit still. <laughs> That's weird. Jesus pulled away in the midst of all the celebration, in the midst of a high moment in his ministry where people were flocking and coming to him. He wasn't necessarily at war with anybody at that moment. This was just a great time. And he still pulls away and gets with the Father. And when we're with the Father, we get perspective. What does that mean for us? It means when we pull away, we start to realize that I didn't accomplish these things. I didn't do these things in my life. The Lord did these things in my life. We remember that he is Lord and I am not, that he is the God of all and I am not. We remember to submit our lives and follow him closely. We get put on track with what true north is. We have to build in those quiet moments and the willingness to pull aside. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly, there, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the water. 
he was about to pass them by. Did you check that out? He's about to pass them by, right? I think sometimes we get this image that like he was like, hey, do you mind if I come aboard? No, man, he's on the lake and he's about to pass. He's like, right? And he's, he's like, and he, there he is right beside them in the midst of the storm. Don't miss it. There he is right beside them. Where? In the midst of the storm. He's never left that spot. He's never left it. That's where he is in the midst of your storm, right beside you. Remember, he's a God of compassion to suffer with. He enters into our pain. He's with us. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them when they saw him walking on the lake, and they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down, and they were completely amazed. I just want to say one thing about that. Take courage. He's never left your side. There's not one obstacle that he can't work his way through and be with you and to be with you that he's not in the midst of, that he doesn't have great power to bring you through. Do you know why they had to end up in the boat? I firmly believe this. They didn't get it. They just saw this incredible miracle, and when they looked out, and they're like, Jesus. No, it's a ghost, man. Jesus can't do that. <laughs> what? Of course he can do that. He just fed 5,000 people, right? He calmed the storm before that. Of course he can do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> or, or they were terrified because the storm was up there, thinking that, that we're going to die. I mean, Jesus already calmed the storm once. Can he not calm it again? Thinking they were all alone in the middle of the lake. Jesus said, you're never alone. I'm always with you. You see, they struggled in their faith even though they saw something great and mighty. If Jesus lets us remain comfortable in our faith, if God lets us just remain comfortable with what he did yesterday, we'll never be prepared for what he's doing today and tomorrow. If he lets us just remain comfortable in celebrating what was, we will never be prepared for what will be. And that's what he's always in the business of doing, drawing us closer to him because there's something new on the horizon. There's something else he's going to be doing with us and he's going to be walking through it with us. He's preparing us for things he needs to do in our lives, and he's using the difficulties and the turmoil and the situations in our life to help others grow closer to him, to speak into their lives, to help them to know Christ. And finally this, keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember, the story is also told in Matthew, but remember in Matthew, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said, and Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? He took his eyes off Jesus. He looked at the storm that he was in the midst of. Instead of saying, staying focused to the Lord and all that he had for him and the power and the strength that was available to him and the truth of who Jesus was, he took his eyes off, looked at the storm, and got fearful. Now, before we get too, too harsh with Peter, the question I had to ask myself, when was the last time I stepped out of the boat? When was the last time I stepped into the chaos? When was the last time I purposely stepped into the difficult? When was the last time I left what I felt was comfortable and safe and said, I'll follow you? That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he wants us to do. That's the point of it. That's why it's there. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? 
But to trust him means you got to keep your eyes on him. And to keep your eyes on him, there's some things you're going to need to do in your life. You're going to need to be in the word of God every day. We've got to constantly be being reminded of the power and the majesty and the might of Jesus Christ. You're going to need to be in prayer. You're going to need to learn his voice. You're going to need to talk to him and, and listen to him. You're going to need to pull away like we talked about. You're going to need to be with one another and hear the stories of God's great power and be encouraged by how God has worked in other people's lives because we constantly need the encouragement because we are forgetful people. And when we get to the next crisis, we forget how he took us through the first crisis and the second crisis and the third crisis. We forget how powerful he is. And so we need to be around people. We need to dive into people's lives, other followers of Christ. We need to hear their stories. We need to be challenged by being in the word with them. We need to have them help unpack and explain the word to us and we need to explain it to them. And then we absolutely positively have to grow in our depth of knowledge. It's one thing to read scripture. It's one thing to talk about it with others. But there's also a part that we need to grow in understanding the character and nature of God and who he is. Things like the, the foundations class and things like, like deep study, classes that you can take through seminaries, other classes that we offer right here, deeper Bible studies that explain the character and nature of God because it's in him we trust but we must know him. Yes? And you too will be able to walk on water. No, I believe it. I told you before, it's my favorite story. Because I've always wanted to walk on water. I'm not messing with you. I can't tell you how many pools I've been at that I've stepped off and go, okay, now's the time. I still do it. I'm a grown man. Or that I've been at a lake going, I sink every time. But guess what? I've never needed to walk on water. And I can trust him to have the power to meet every one of my needs and to be there in my moment of need, no matter what that need is. You see the last point on your outline? It says blessing follows obedience. Because Christ was obedient to all the Father's will. People were healed. Lives were saved. We have salvation. He walked through the difficulty, and then he asked his disciples to do the same, you and me. And when we're obedient, our lives will be changed, and people's lives will be changed all around us. The power of God will be on display in your life. He is sufficient. We have protection. We have every provision we need. He is our great and powerful God. Will you trust him? Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've drawn us into a relationship. Thank you that you put your power on display. Thank you that you have never left us alone or forsaken us. That you are right by us in the midst of the storm. In the day of our needed provision, you are with us. So, Father, help us to surrender all that we have that you've given us to you and say, do what I could never do with my life. Make it mean something for eternity. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.